0: Hey, are you missing the golden era of hip-hop? If so, you should check out the Create 808 podcast. It travels back through the 1990s and has lively debates around hip-hop's classic albums, interviews with instrumental people from the culture in the past, present, and future. Every week, host Cam Vandy, a longtime hip-hop head and podcast producer, interviews insightful guests to provide a fresh look at the decade that shaped the genre, as well as the artists who are carrying rap in the modern day. And they also have these really great series around some of the best album runs and hidden gems from the decade. Some of the past guests include DJ Premier, DJ Muggs, Eric Sermon, Prince Paul, Just Blaze, Pharrell, Monge. I can keep going, but you get the point. If you're a hip hop head, this is a podcast for you. So go subscribe and listen to Create 808 wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to the Trapville Podcast. I'm your host Dan Runcy. Today's guest is Brandon Panky. He is the VP of Business Development and Operations at Live Nation, and he's also the founder of Apex, which is a new artist-focused video on-demand service that's going to launch soon. Brandon, thanks for coming on the pod.
1: Oh my goodness, Dan, it's a pleasure and honor. You know, I've seen some of your previous podcasts, and the people that you've had on here are really phenomenal in this industry. So for you to even think to have me on is uh, truly an honor. So excited to
0: speak with you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate that. And likewise, I mean, you've been making moves for a while, especially this past year. I can only imagine how it's been. You're a tour exec in this industry, and I'm sure you had big plans for 2020. Everything shuts down and your company has been making moves and navigating through all of that. How has it been?
1: For everyone to know, I work for, for Live Nation, which is the global leader in live entertainment. And so my division is Live Nation Urban. So we focus specifically on developing events and platforms in hip-hop, R&B, and gospel, like really super serve African-Americans in our demographic and also have compelling events and platforms, not only for our culture, but for multicultural and multi-generational audiences expanding throughout those genres of music. So going back to 2020, if I can go back, I don't remember two weeks ago at this point, but we had sold out of three of our premier events. One was the Roots Picnic Music Festival that I co-produced in Philadelphia. Another was Broccoli City Music Festival. Shout out to Brandon McCair and Marcus Allen who founded Broccoli City and Live Nation Urban partnered with them. That was in DC, that sold out. And then we had sold out on another partnership we had with Kirk Franklin, Gospel Festival called Exodus Music Festival. So we had three sold out festivals and this was, late January, early February. And so we're seeing what's happening in the news. And you know, we're like, okay, let's pay attention to it. But in our minds, in our silly, silly minds, it should be a couple of months and we'll be okay. What we saw was this was more than a couple of months. So we had to pivot and we had to pivot very quickly. And how do we pivot? How do we take this amazing IP that we have from a festival perspective, from an event perspective, and really create digital platforms around them? So we did this in a couple of ways. One took the Roots Picnic, partnered with Michelle Obama and her When We All Vote organization. And we had the Roots Picnic virtual experience, which was phenomenal, you know, and really redefined what it meant to scale live events where, you know, the Roots Picnic, we have a capacity of 30, 35,000 people. Now we have 1 million people that were able to watch this experience, which ultimately helps to improve the visibility of the brand and what it is. So then we have our BroccoliCon, which is a conference that Broccoli City has two days prior to the actual festival. And we were able to turn that into a digital experience and that had 2 million views. And then we partnered with YouTube, myself, CEO of Live Nation Urban President, Sean G., Jesse Collins and Dion Harmon from Jesse Collins Entertainment. executive produced a YouTube HBCU special, Meet Me on the Yard. So we were able to do all of these things, you know, and then we had a Juneteenth special with Live by Live. And then outside of that, curating digital content on our Instagram, Live Nation Urban. One of the ideas that we had was meet the execs, just really highlighting African-American executives in the music industry in the time that we were in. We partnered with multiple labels during Black Music Month, and that was an incredible experience. But then coming out of George Floyd, coming out of Breonna Taylor and, and what was coming from that, you know, I woke up one day and was like, you know, I can't just talk about music anymore. It can't just be about music, even though that's my passion. That's my love. That's my career. What else can we do in this time? Because it felt pivotal. So I thought of, you know, my favorite book, which is W.E.B. Du Bois, The Souls of Black Folk. And I was like, I want a show or digital series called The Souls of Black Folk. And we started that last June. And our first guest was Mark Lamont Hill. And, you know, we just talked about the issues. You know, we went into politics, talked about where we were at after the George Floyd murder. But then each week, we started talking about different topics. Education. We spoke to Henry Hips, who worked at the Gates Foundation. We went into finance and economics with Alice Villman and Ted Reed from Morgan Stanley. We talked about criminal justice reform. We talked about voting. Each of these things that were important for the African-American community. That's the sort of things outside of music, Dan, to be honest. That's what really drives me. That's a part of my passion. And so we pivoted. We started from all of that digital content, had the idea for Blackstream Live which is giving Black creators a voice, which is allowing us to take some of that IP and create digital extensions around that IP, including Broccoli City. We have a talk show called As the World Spins. Roots Picnic, we have Road to Roots Picnic. And then we created new shows, New Music Monday. We had Go DJ, which is Love from the Roots. He curates DJs weekly from around the world. And so we created this Twitch network Blackstream Live, which has been phenomenal since we started it in late February. But taking that and just building and then coming back into live strong, we've been so active. When we come back into live, I have a feeling, my gut is that we're going to sell out of these live events, but it's going to be a 360 holistic ecosystem where you know we don't take the festival and treat it separately than the digital content. It's always on. Everything is always happening now because of what happened in 2020. So I'm super excited about what's to come. We had to pivot you know what I mean? Quickly. And we did that. And I'm thankful for what we were able to do during that time. And I know I spoke too much, Dan, so apologies.
0: No, that was great. Because I think you hit so many things, right? People from the outside end could clearly see that Live Nation needed to make moves. And it was Being close and, you know, getting more integrated with what's happening on a live stream basis. It's finding what's already there that's already existing. What can you tap into? And also, you know, taking what is already successful, like the roots picnic. What does that look like in a? more interactive digital version like what does that look like so how can you keep the momentum going because you knew i'm sure you knew like once things opened back up whenever it was there was going to be excitement but this is just a matter of what do you do to maintain that and ultimately help put yourself in an even better position on the other side out
1: yeah for sure i mean i think you said it you know what i mean i think it allows us now when we're talking about scaling this festival and growing this festival we have a whole digital ecosystem now that's going to allow us to really grow all of our IP stronger, better, quicker than it would have happened prior to COVID. Again, content was always a part of our strategy. We just had to hasten how much of it we did. COVID was a very interesting experience. And there were those that didn't take it on. It was our duty. And I'm going to say this, not just as you know music executives, but especially after last May, it was our duty as Black Americans to go on and to create content that for some of us were able to take us away from from everything that was happening. But also it was important for us to have content that allowed us to have discussions as a people, to have discussions with others outside of our people so that we can understand what was going on. And hopefully all of us, every race, every creed, every ethnicity able to heal and to be better. It was a lot going on. And, And so I hope that in 2021, hopefully, and 2022 and beyond, we're, we're able to bring these, these shows back, bring these festivals back, bring people together and enjoy each other. Because we, a lot of us haven't even been around a lot of people in the past year. So this is going to be the first time these events where people are active, are around, are together in community. And so that's what part of the mission in Live Nation Urban is and, and super excited to be a part of that.
0: I hear you on that. I cannot wait to get back into it. And I've been thinking a lot about what getting back into it is going to look like because you see it on the artist side. There's so much demand to get back out there. Everyone that's either been waiting to tour, they're looking for their opportunity to do it, but there's still only so many venues or so much opportunity, or if you look at on the audience side, so much willingness to pay for everyone that wants to tour the next 18 months or so. What do you think that's going to look like?
1: It's going to be crazy as hell. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be a lot of we're going to really talk about. Let's go into macroeconomics, macroeconomics, right? Supply and demand. You know, will we have enough demand for the amount of artists that all want to get back on the road? Let's take a step back for your listeners. Prior to COVID, touring accounted for maybe 80 to 90 percent of an artist's revenue. Right? This is how artists made their money. And so a lot of artists either made significantly less in 2020 or had to find new ways and work with brands to figure out ways to supplement that income that they're losing from live. To your point, Dan, everybody is trying to get back out. So I think it's going to be an interesting mix of how many festival dates that an artist takes versus how many hard ticket sale tours that they want to try to do. Because there's only so many shows that the average American can attend, that the average person globally can attend. So if I have $10, you know, let's call it each artist show or tour counting for a dollar and there are 30 shows, there are going to be 20 of those that I'm missing to, to get each of those dollars, you know, for each of the shows that I can attend. So it's, it's going to be interesting, but I'm going to tell you what, I think we're all going to be surprised with how much demand there still is for artists. I think that we're going to, we're going to be surprised with how many shows actually sell out or close to capacity. And I want to give you know, a lot of kudos to not only to the Live Nations and AEGs of the world, but there are so many independent promoters. I truly am excited, man. You know, I've said excited about 80 times on this podcast already, but I'm elated at the fact that so many artists are able to get back on the road and do what they love doing, and that's entertaining their fans. It's going to be difficult for some artists, you know, and I think that's where it's going to be important for some of those egos We're like, well, maybe instead of me headlining I can be a support act for this other artist that's on tour. You know, maybe there are ways I just go on festivals this year and I don't plan a tour of my own. So it's going to be a delicate balance and it's going to be a lot on managers and booking agents and others in that artist ecosystem that um, are going to play a big role in the success of an artist touring career moving forward.
0: That's a good point. And I think if people take a step back, you already started to see some of that happen before the pandemic. I mean, you look at artists like Drake and the Migos touring together, that popularity for both of them, they could have done things independently or even like Cole and Thug, like when they had done their thing, right? So you're gonna see even more of that, probably even to a more extent. And I'm sure that some artists may feel like, oh, they wanted to be the one in the arena, not the one opening for someone. But this is how you're gonna have to do it. I do think to your point though, a lot of people are ready and they're ready to spend that money to do those things and although this isn't an exact comparison because it isn't live entertainment i look at the success of a movie like godzilla versus kong from like a month ago that wasn't just because people wanted to see godzilla versus kong is because people wanted to get out of the house and just see some flashy shit on the screen right people are ready let me be
1: clear i'm going to movies to go see black widow I'll be there. Stay away from me. But I will be in that seat watching that movie. So I I hear you on that, Dan. And people are just ready to get out. It's unfortunate that in some states people have been out already. But I'm telling you now, I'll say this. I'm fully vaccinated. I've been looking at trips in 2022. Not even, you know, 2021, I'm I'm booking. But 2022, like I'm out. And so I think there's going to be a really good opportunity and music to have different types of experiences that maybe I, you know, I wouldn't have paid for as a consumer in 2019. And so, you know, I think we should start looking more at international destinations and I don't mean the fire festival, but really high produced, high quality shows in different arenas in different places because people are ready to go. And so I think there's going to be a lot more sort of destination shows or destination sort of experiences that people are going to be attracted to. Again, it's going to be an amazing period. And I think creativity is going to be the only thing that can stop you or lack thereof for having amazing shows and doing dope shit that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do a couple of years ago.
0: I agree with that. And I think a lot of ways the demand is there and that's reflected in Live Nation's stock price too. I mean, I'm still impressed by the fact that you all hit an all-time high when no one has toured a revenue or dropped by how far it did. And that's just because people are still ready for the future. So I'm with it.
1: Now, for sure, for sure. You know, I should have bought more (laughs) myself. And not just with Live Nation, right? When you look at, um, you know, Carnival Cruise Lines, when you look at all of the hospitality sort of travel companies. Trust me, they are going to prosper. And I should have started Panky's Flights and Kites or something and taken advantage of this. So it's going to be interesting, Dan.
0: Well, you have been still starting businesses on the move on the side with this. And one of the things you started is Apex, which is a artist-focused video on-demand service, specifically tailored for music projects, but could expand into other things. And I'm really excited to hear more about that and what really pushed you to start this and what you wanted to create.
1: Yeah, for sure. So Apex, long name, artist Presented Experiences is the name, you know, Apex for short. Why did I want to start Apex? So I can actually thank wrestling for this. So in 2014, I read an article, um, Forbes article from Vince McMahon, and in 2013, he had started the WWE Network, a streaming service OTT platform, and he was charging 9 dollars a month. And in my head at that time, I was thinking, well, why don't we have something specifically catered for music in the streaming space? At that point, people understood OTTs, people had Netflix at the time, but they weren't really taking it as seriously as it is now in 2020. You know, I had this idea in my head since 2014, then, and just finding the right people, finding the people that would want to invest, that would understand what this is, was pivotal. When you look at WWE's now and they, WWE's platform now, and they sold it to Peacock, which is NBC streaming platform in the U.S. But before they sold it, it was 9.99 a month, 1.2, 1.3 million subscribers that were paying a monthly 9.99 a month you know, that's what's it $120, $130 million in revenue that you're making for wrestling. Why aren't we doing that in music? And artists, you know, there's so many live streaming companies that I've seen, but artists have ideas. Once they step off the stage, you know, a lot of these artists are creating small digital pieces anyway. What Apex provides is an outlet for artists to create whatever they want to create. In my head, it was who's going to be the next Ice Cube to make Friday? Who's going to be the next 50 Cent that makes Power? Who's going to be the next Lady Gaga that stars in A Star is Born? That's what this platform is. Horror, romantic comedies, music documentaries, documentaries about your feet and why you get athlete's foot. As long as an artist is behind it, that's what this platform is for. I want in three to five years for Roddy Rich to say, guess what? I have An Oscar-nominated film that I produced on Apex. I want in three to five years for Dua Lipa to say, hey, I created a new television series and it's up for an Emmy because of Apex. That's what this is. It's premium content, no filters, and we'll have concerts and and live streams, of course, because that's a part of the music DNA. But I, I want us to stretch that creativity, and that's what Apex is about.
0: Nice. I love it. That's awesome. And I think the WWE comparison is interesting because I look at their business and yeah, in 2014 they launched the service. And I know they did the deal with Peacock. I think it was for like a billion dollars or something like that. Because I heard um, I think it was, uh, Stephanie McMahon had talked about this on a podcast that I was listening to recently. And it was like they were like, okay, we are better at content than we are at distributing content. So they want to pivot over to that. And I think the opportunity that artists have talked about so much is, you know, not necessarily just being the content providers, how can they be further downstream in that? And you're offering an opportunity to do that because I think you just look at so much of the music content that's out there, whether it is the documentaries or whether it is the original scripted content like Power or things like that, there is a lot there, but They don't really have like a central brand around them or that type of push in the same way. To me, it seems like people are just going after the check and I get it. You know, the check is there, but it doesn't have the same feeling that you do. Okay, you know, you turn on Disney Plus, there's a vibe you're going to get from the content. You know, you go on HBO Max, there's a vibe you're going to get from the content. You know what I mean?
1: then you get it a million percent, right? And it's about that vibe. You know, not anybody, but if you're an A-list artist, you'll go to Netflix and get a deal. You know, if you're an A-list artist, you can go to Hulu and get a deal. I'm here for the artists that have ideas and they don't have a place to put them, like quality ideas and getting that vibe, like super cool shit. I mean, when we look at the initial slate, it's a mix, right? We have a scripted comedy series from Billy Woodruff, who a, was a producer on Star, producer on Black Lightning. We have an artist interview series from radio, Issa Ray's label. We have a docu-series called Walk. You know, we're interviewing artists and interviewing the boxers that came out to those artists. Like, why did you select that song? But in my head, it's like, yo, we have scripted, we have interviews, we have a political slant, we have Mark Lamont Hill hosting his own show. I want there to be a differentiator with each of our shows. And so I want it to be a vibe to your point, Dan. And not only that, it's not just here's a piece of content, throw it up on here. No, we're working with producers and directors that are in Hollywood. This has to be content that if it was not on Apex, I could still see it on another competing streaming service. So I want us to get out of the mentality that artists are, you know, they'll just throw up anything. If this is not considered a viable alternative to what you have now, and I'm including Disney Plus, I'm including HBO Max, I'm including every big streaming service out there because that's where my mind is and the vision that I have for this. I promise you, Dan, it will be something that I think is super cool and super exciting for artists and for the film, television, streaming community as well.
0: Nice. For you, as you mentioned, yeah, you have a bunch of great talent already signed up. You got Mark Lamont Hill. I think I saw you got the folks from um, radio and Issa Ray's camp helping to produce some of the content too. What was it like coming up with that initial program and slate? Because I'm sure there's a lot of thought that goes in there. You want to mix, but I'm sure you got a lot of ideas. What was that piece of it like?
1: Man, it was, it was a lot of pitches and people that I'm actually going to come back to for the second wave of programming. But for me, As I just stated, it was about what is that mix? Quite honestly, I'm a new platform. I can't get the $10 million scripted series, but I can get one real good one. And I want to take that and make that an anchor. And then, if I can get a dope docu series that's based in sports, so we have a scripted comedy, then a sports and music documentary. Then we have a show that's music and politics. Then we have a show that's music and fashion, custom fitted, which I didn't even tell you about. Then we have artist interview show with radio and Issa Rae. So we combine some of the star power, but then everything is different, right? So it's all music as that middle. But when we're talking about those tentacles or those branches from that music root, everything has a different feel and a different vibe. The goal is. Every day in three years, similar to NBC or Fox. You know, when you used to watch Fox on Thursdays, it was Martin Living Single, New York Undercover, or NBC's on Thursdays, it was Seinfeld, it was Friends, but they had distinct feels. Everything had a distinct feel. And I hope, not hope, I'm going to make sure that every day, because there's going to be programming, you know, once we get there, once we ramp up, every day of programming, everything that you see on here will have a different feel to it. It will be a very legitimate network. And I'm super excited about it.
0: How did you land on the business model for this? Because I see, is it advertising?
1: It's advertising video on demand. So it's going to be ad-based, particularly to start. And part of the rationale with this was, especially coming out of COVID, there were so many people, or even people close to me that lost their jobs. There were so many people that are struggling with their bills already. Then I'm looking at the overall OTT landscape. And there's so many streaming services that we're paying for. You know, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, Peacock is free with ads, but there's a premium tier to it. All of these things you have to pay for. So for me, one, I want to make sure that as many people as possible get to experience this. And so I'm going to make sure that, you know, advertising is how we start. And if for some reason we get to a level that, you know, supersedes what I may think from a projection perspective in the next couple of years, maybe we think about a paid tier, but I will hope that we can stay free for as long as possible, because it's about the people. I don't want you to have to pay for a, a ninth streaming service, even though I think it's going to be as dope as the other eight, but it's a matter of just making sure that we we have as many people as possible tuning in.
0: Yeah. Because when I hear that, I think about like Tubi or Vudu, because I know that they have, you know, advertising supported on their streaming platforms as well.
1: And i really wanted this one because you're thinking about Tubi, um, Pluto as well. For me, it was, this was super niche. And it's super focused on we know what we are. You know, what I saw, and I know they did some great things. You know, they we were trying to do some great things. But what I saw with Quibi was they were trying to be too much for everybody, too much too soon for everybody. Let's raise a bunch of money and throw it out there and see what happens. And for me, we have to really think this too. It has to be strategic because there are so many platforms out here. But I really think we have something with musicians and really giving them an outlet to, to really show their creativity in ways that maybe they wouldn't be able to do. Normally in their careers,
0: yeah, I think that Quibi's biggest shout—I mean, there's been a bunch of them. We don't need to spend too much time relitigating Quibi, but there wasn't like a true anchor there, right? Everything was new IP, and of course, there's big names, but I think we've seen just for the entertainment landscape that big names can only get you so far and it was also a new form of content that they were trying to create themselves it was just very ambitious versus there's a natural integration with the way that i think you're going about this platform not for
1: sure super ambitious and i think a couple years from now it may work better but for this, and again, I give kudos to anyone trying something new and different in any field, any industry, because that's what the world is built on. That's what we're built on, especially in this country, is innovation and, and coming up with better and bigger things. So kudos to them, regardless of what happened um, as an end result. But yeah, I mean, I hope that there's enough integration. I hope that there's enough of a understanding from the audience where people want to tune in and people want to download this fall of 2021. So looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing that you mentioned earlier, too, is that yeah, you do want to be able to compete with all of the content that's there. But I think you also said there is a bit of a gap in terms of the content that does get made because you either have these big projects where these superstar musicians get eight figure deals from the streaming services or the person does something independently on whether it's a YouTube or something else like that. So there is a sweet spot there of that Not even middle class because it's bigger than that. But let's say like someone like Roddy Rich, right? I do not think Roddy Rich is at the point of his career right now that he would get a eight figure Netflix documentary the same way that you know Kanye or Billie Eilish or whoever did. However. There is an opportunity to be able to have something for him because he has a fan base. He's there. and put someone like Lil Uzi Vert in that same category. There's so much of a passionate fan base for these artists that may not be performing at the Grammys or headlining Coachella or all these other superstar things that there will still be a big audience for their multimedia content. Oh,
1: Dan, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm looking at across all genres, just based on the conversations I've had with managers, with labels, with booking agencies. There are so many artists that are just looking for content. And they're like, where can I put it? Where can I distribute it? And I'm like, I'm shocked. I'm not be honest with you. Like, I thought this would be a good thing. I didn't think it would be as great of a thing as, as it seems to be, because they're really asking, like, I didn't know this existed. Where I can put content somewhere. Like, we have all of these ideas and we just didn't know where to put them. And so I think even being a voice and, and being in the music industry and understanding this industry and understanding the players and then also having that experience on the content side. I think being able to meld that, Dan, I think it's something special. I really do. And I, and I just want to execute on it. So I'm I'm trying not to, to get too excited because I know how much work it takes to really get this done and get it done the right way. But I have incredible partners, Qantasie, who helped to develop Kevin Hart's LOL network. They're the tech partner behind this. I just want to give them as much credit as possible. into all of the partners and people that are a part of this from strategic partners to to actual content creators. I mean, I can't do any of this without any of them. You know, it's me as the face right now talking about it, but there's so many people making this happen and making this as great of a product as it can be.
0: So how big is the Apex team right now?
1: Me and it's me. No, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's me sort of spearheading it. I have a partner really helping from a financial perspective. Qantasie and their team has been phenomenal, really serving as a back end until we get really ramped up. And then once we get really ramped up, we're going to build it out. You know, I have a hit list of people that I want to speak to and and go after as potential employees. But right now, man, it's small, it's tight, but we're we're, we're getting it done um, and getting ready for launch.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the funding piece of it too. You mentioned you have a funding partner. So are you venture capital backed or what does that piece of it look like?
1: So, I mean, we're going after real funding now. We're going after that real round, that raise right now. I just have one person who really believed in me and said, look, I will go in with this with you. I will help to fund this initial shows for you. Just somebody that I'm super close with, somebody that had more money than I thought in real life, but able to help me the way that they did. Um, but you know, really excited and really passionate about the project with me. But now I'm, I'm having those conversations with VCs, with angel investors, with others who wanna come in and, and really invest. And that's why I think it's important. And what people are saying is, look, you've already been doing it. And so for those that are looking to invest in companies, I know there are those with ideas on, on decks. But what people like to see, you know, especially in this world is the ability to see that you're actually moving forward with it. You know, that announcement really helped because it showed that I was doing it with or without your money. And so really having a passion and understanding your business. So for those that are getting into, you know, startups or or being an entrepreneur, keep that in mind, really move forward what you're doing and don't, don't get discouraged if the first person says no to it. You know, you're talking to somebody that again, had this idea since 2014. It's been seven years. And so I never want entrepreneurs of those that, that have ideas to get discouraged because you just never know, you know, when you'll have that opportunity to shine and to really break through. So that was my... My Lavar Burton reading rainbow moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll say this. I hope you don't have any trouble raising the amount of money that you want to, because if we just go back to Quibi for a second, the billions of dollars that they raised for what they did, you know, respect to them. I understand that this is not an easy game. And I acknowledge and admire the risk. And obviously, I understand if you're Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman getting money is a little different, but you are an executive with tons of experience in this industry yourself. You have people signed. you know. I understand that how this thing works and how people that look like you don't always get the best opportunities, but I hope that that isn't the case because I think you do deserve that and more.
1: Yeah, I hope that isn't the case anymore either. And really I'm going in and I hope that my experience, I hope that my resume speaks for itself. I hope that how I treat people, how I've been in this music industry speaks for itself. To your point, I'm not Jeffrey Katzenberg. I am not Meg Whitman. And so that's a different conversation. And I'm not even looking for a billion dollars. So I hope that, you know, those that I'm speaking to understand who I am and understand that that I've had this vision. And, you know, on my my chalkboard, whiteboard now, I have a three-year plan of content. You know, I have five years, 10 years in my head of how I think this can go. So this isn't a a fly-by-night idea. This is something that, thought about, I think about, it wakes me up at night, so I'm ready to go and super excited.
0: The other thing you just made me think of, now you got like my brain jogging right now. I think about how podcasting itself has been such a farm for good quality multimedia shows. I mean, I look at like what Charlemagne is doing with Black Effect Podcast Network successful show from there easily become something that, you know, gets the video and gets, you know, that next level of multimedia focus on Apex. And I know there's many other podcast networks there. I mean, those are the kind of partnerships and relationships that would be dope to see whenever that comes to fruition.
1: It sure would, Dan. Stay tuned because you never know what can happen when we're talking about the the live video from a podcast. I agree with you, Dan. I think that'd be compelling stuff. I just don't know if we'll do it or not.
0: (laughs) can let the listeners read between the lines there. That's awesome. Good stuff. Well, I think the other thing that you do that I think is really great. You talked about this a little bit earlier with how so much of the work you do at Live Nation shifted in a way after the events that happened last May after George Floyd's murder and Brianna Taylor and all of the uprisings that happened since then. But I feel like you have been an advocate for so much change and so much education and spreading this. And you have done a lot of work with Drexel. You've done a lot of work with education. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that. I mean, you are spreading the awareness and you're doing a really good job of that for you. How do you feel like, you know, more industry execs can follow your lead and do the same things that you're doing? Because I think that a lot of people do want to do it and you're definitely on the forefront here. So like, where did that come from for you and how do you think other people can follow that lead as well?
1: So I love kids, you know, I have a passion, particularly from where I grew up. I grew up, you know, I was born in in North Philadelphia, black and brown kids just don't have the same access as other groups of individuals, right? And have access, particularly for industries like music, like where do you even get started? I was tremendously blessed to have as many mentors as I've had throughout my journey. And so two of those mentors who I interned with, one of my first internships, Jerome Hips and Michael McArthur, who are music managers themselves, I started interning from them. And I, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to learn how to a and I'm going to learn songwriting and production. And they said, well, no, we had just come from a funeral. And at the funeral. The minister said, when you're born, there's a date. And when you die, there's a date. But what's that dash in the middle? Like, what is your life going to signify? So they wanted to start a a music education program called Dash. They were like, look, recent graduate, we need you to come up with it and develop it and give us a curriculum. And I had no education experience. I just know that I love kids. and I, I love the idea of students learning the business behind music. Because a lot of our, you know, a lot of young people want to be rappers or want to be athletes, but don't understand that you can be a Dan running a podcast. You know, you can be a Brandon, you know, working behind the scenes of a festival. You could be a lighting director, literally configuring lights for a show and making $3,000, $3,500 a week on an arena level tour. And so I've helped to put that together the curriculum for DASH, which stands for Destined to Achieve Successful Heights. And since its inception in 2005, We have a partnership with the School District of Philadelphia. We worked in schools in Baltimore, Maryland, public schools. We work with different colleges. You know, we developed a curriculum in partnership with the Grammy Music Education Coalition. A lot of work around hooking kids, because, you know, music, sports, that's what hooks a lot of young kids, young people, particularly in urban communities. And if we're able to hook you, And then we're able to talk to you about marketing, music marketing. Guess what? Those marketing principles will apply whether you work in music or whether you work in science or whether you work in healthcare. It doesn't matter. We're able to teach you certain things and teach you certain life skills. That helps. And so I'll say to any music executives, and I started to see more of it in COVID because you were able to just get on the Zoom versus having to travel to classrooms. Just talk. You know, sometimes kids just need to know that you can do it. Sometimes kids just need to see what neighborhood you came from and, oh, you came from there and you were able to become a president of this or a vice president of that. Sometimes kids just need to see it because there are a lot of kids that haven't left their block or left their local community. And so they don't understand the opportunities that are out here. And so for any executive, I'll just say, just make the time. It can be an hour a month and one hour a month, you know, can make a difference. You know, you you see those commercials late at night where he says, One hour can feed a child the knowledge to help shape a change in in how they perceive their life can be. Again, we can go into economic inequalities, we can go into educational inequalities, and we can go into those things as to why certain kids don't have access. But I think just helping to make that difference, helping just showing up means more than some people ever realize for some kids.
0: I agree a hundred percent. And I think starting with a pretty manageable amount of giving is a good way to frame it, right? Like that comparison, you know, whether it's the 10 cents that someone might give to UNICEF or just giving an hour of your time. And yeah, it's so much easier now to do it in the age of things just being virtual. Because before, like, I had done a little bit of volunteering at a boys and girls club that was in our neighborhood here, and it was great. But of course, you know, it's a physical type of thing. And, you know, I haven't done in the past year because of COVID. But yeah, there's so much that has now shifted to being virtual. And I think a lot of us have looked at how it can just make our own lives and businesses running more efficiently, but it can also make philanthropic giving or time or whatever it is much more efficient if you want to call it that or much more easier to integrate in your schedule in that same type of way
1: absolutely absolutely and i want to i want to be careful right because i think time is just as important as giving money you know what i saw in 2020 particularly and and shout out and thanks to all the corporations that did this but i saw this magic number of 100 million dollars like we're giving 100 million dollars to help promote you know equity amongst African-Americans and other races. You know, help this, money for this. But I think time, for certain people, that money won't necessarily touch them or touch their community. So that's why I think it's pivotal that you spend time because you you just never know who you're impacting. Like, it's really fascinating and a quick story. I mean, there was one student that we worked with in the Dash program. And this kid, literally, we had an after-school program. He had dropped out of school. He was just showing up to our after-school program to learn music production. We have incredible teachers give a shout out to them, Grammy-nominated songwriters, producers, Ivan Berries, Crystal typewriter, Oliver, Calvin Price, and Carol Riddick, who is an amazing recording artist and now our program coordinator, had to shout them out. But in any event, this student dropped out of school. He was like, I'm not going back to school. I just come to y'all class. He started coming to our sessions just through the class. He said, because of y'all, I went back and got my GED. He now has a good job. He's you know a good family member, a good member of the community, someone who's Was not doing the things that he was doing. And so that sort of impact from a class that we were literally, it was about using logic, making beats and and writing songs, which some people scoff at. Some people scoff at the creative community. It's ridiculous because that's what touches so many people. Creativity is is what centers a lot of us. I think our creative economy is our greatest export. It's just phenomenal what you can do when you spend time, actually make time for, for others.
0: And yeah, to your point, it's great when they see people like you being able to do that and be the face of it because you are – aspect of what you're putting out there, right? It's not just the rappers, or it's not just the athletes that are the ones to be seen. It's the people that are behind the scenes that are making it happen that, who knows? That job may actually interest you more, and it's a great opportunity to do that. And I'm glad you called out the money piece of it, because that was something else that we saw a lot of in June of last year, specifically, with so many corporations and companies kind of coming to terms with how they could either do more to support the economic empowerment of Black people And a lot of it was putting money or trying to put money behind initiatives. Well, yeah, that's part of it, but it's also what can you do to help either support those that are in these positions to help them be elevated? And that can come through funding and supporting their ideas or making sure that they are supported so that they can advance in organizations and making sure that they can do what they need to do it's like can you make the hires or can you wire the check like there was this tagline going on hire or wire that's what people want more of than actually just like putting money to particular initiatives and the more of that that I think that we see, not that that necessarily solves everything by any means, but those are the things that are just much more impactful. And I think those are the things that happen less because that's where the real work comes in.
1: Yeah. Let's call it hire and wire. And so here's what happens. You're able to fund entrepreneurs or fund ideas. You're able to hire more people at the C-suite because I saw a lot more hires, but I'm talking about at that real top decision level making or on the board of directors where decisions are really made. I didn't see too much of that. When you do that, that's the trickle down effect, you know, that really matters because now you have more power to hire individuals, not only at that high level, but the mid level at the entry level. And if you have a more at the entry level, guess what? Those are the climbers that you see. That's what changes the culture of where you're working. And so that's where the work continues to need to be done. Again, money is money, and if it helps, it helps, and, and we need it. But at the same time, you've got to, Dan, I mean, great point. You've got to support ideas, and you've got to support the individuals that already work for you, and how can you empower them to be better, to climb higher, to be greater? And that, that's a critical element of it that I think continues to need to be worked on.
0: How do you feel like Live Nation does this overall? I mean, from the outside in, I think there's a lot of execs there that we see have, whether it's the interviews or the press. I mean, of course, you know, you got Michael Rapino up top, but there's Sean, there's you, there's other people that we're seeing. So I think from the outside people, I feel like, okay, well, there are executives that look like them that are in those positions and maybe a bit more relative to some of the companies that are directly in the major record labels. But what's been your take?
1: I mean, honestly, and I'm not saying it because I've worked there from what I've seen Michael Rapino if you have a great idea Michael Rapino will fund it bottom line he will fund your idea whether you're black whether you're a woman race creed gender identity it doesn't matter if you have a great idea great ideas are superseding any of that and so it's really an amazing work environment and a culture it's a culture of idea building and really If you're good at something, he will support it. This company, Live Nation, will support it. And so what I've seen, and I'll say Live Nation Urban is a great example of that, giving this organization a leeway to really help build culture. And we do it organically because, you know, the majority of us are of color and live in this world every day. And then we created a Black tour directory. You know, shout out to Jen Smith at Live Nation and to Nyasia Burris, who now works for Spotify, did work for Live Nation Urban, but came up with this incredible idea. Let's support all of the vendors that we may not see on the road at different shows. People need a black tour manager or black production manager. We created this directory. You're getting the best of the best in this directory. We constantly fill it and constantly put more names into it. But overall, this company, it really allows you to be creative and your ideas are heard and you have the opportunity to continue to grow. There's an internal mandate where we have more executives, more of the the individuals of color, women, are now being brought through the ranks through Live Nation. So I think Live Nation has taken excellent steps to continue to promote diversity across the board, whether that's race, whether that's gender identity, whether that's whatever, really promoting diversity and diverse executives who are diverse
0: as well. That's been dope to see. And it makes me think of something else about just the strength of the company, especially after 2008 and seeing everything the company's been able to do since then. I think that that Jay Z deal, the first one from 2008 in many ways was a landmark for what that company became, how Jay Z, I think, truly became a global artist and a lot of folks did too. And something I've often wondered, cause you mentioned the stat before, for a lot of artists, 80 to 90% of their revenue comes from touring and I think if you do some research or people talk about these things, a lot of people will think that that is a symptom of, well, people aren't making as much money from CDs or they're not making much money from recorded revenue. And of course, that is a factor. I think streaming is definitely a different business model. But how much of it do you think is because of that as opposed to the improvements or the advancements that have happened for American artists specifically in touring and what we've seen happen from that perspective.
1: Look, there's a correlation, right? The more discretionary dollars are spent on live experiences. People love live. People love being in a community and experiencing live shows. As live shows are going up, live revenues have gone up, more artists have begun to tour, more artists now understand touring. See, that's another piece of this as well. Artists now want touring careers. That's a big part, you know, before if you go back it was, the album was the main piece. Like that was the part that you cared the most about and you still care about your album. But the album now is used to promote your tour and to promote your, your live experience. And I think that's what the piece of it says missing. Yes, couldn't streaming royalties be better? Yes. You know, there are probably deals on that side that could be better. that could be more artist friendly. But at the same time, the demand is there for live shows. So of course, as an artist, I'm going to go and artists are getting paid Per show, or they may have tour deals that are really lucrative. And as long as you have a great team around you, personal manager, business manager, people around you that are really protecting you and helping you save your money and helping you grow your career, why wouldn't you tour more? Why wouldn't you, if there are X amount of festivals and you're getting X amount of festival offers, why wouldn't you take those? So I don't want to put the blame solely on the lack of high royalties or payments from other sides of the industry, but also give credit to the fact that touring has evolved and touring has grown and, and it's viable for artists to do and quite honestly a majority of the artists that i know love performing and so it's a combination of, of a few things dan
0: i would agree and i mean i've often like looked back and thought of things so i've thought back to 1998 and that run that no limit had and how successful they were they didn't tour once that was all record sales and i know you know this and so much of it Part of this also being when one part of your business is going so well, you don't necessarily have the same urgency or desire to maximize and improve other aspects to their fullest potential. But that said, we've also seen different generational shifts, too. The people who were main music fans and consumers back then, 20 years ago, called Gen X, Baby Boomers, there was much more value in the material ownership of things as opposed to the experiences i mean you look at the past decade it's a a generation of people millennials especially that value experiences these are people that saw movies about going to vegas for bachelor parties or going to music festivals that's what they want to do and spend their money on so i think so much of that almost was its own marketing for what we saw this past decade with just the growth that ours have done so there's so many interesting factors that have led to where we are today both pre-pandemic and where things are going to be in the future it's been really fascinating for me especially to go back and study and you know talk to people like you to get your perspective
1: yeah no for sure and i think i love reading album liners i love getting cds and reading who produced it you know but i'm on the older end of millennials and i think. You know, when you look at millennials, when you look at Gen Zers, it's experiences all day. What I found is looking for a house more or less experienced the world. I've never seen as many people travel the world as I've seen now from younger generations. And so, you know, when you look at that and then executives in general are just thinking more holistically now. And I think part of that actually was how. You know, when there was a downturn in the music industry and labels started saying, well, look, we're going to create 360 deals and we're going to monetize off of different areas of an artist's career. It made managers think, well, okay, I need to build each of these pieces of my artist's career. That's why there are so many brand partnerships now. You know, you can't necessarily put Pepsi on a Sony CD and sell it. But Pepsi can have an amazing experience at the Super Bowl. You know, you can have a wireless company at your festival. So you're talking about brands and then artists. And this is why Apex is here. They want to be in film and television more and and have ideas from a production perspective. They're there now and still their music and still the live. So you have to look at the career just more holistically anyway. And so I think that's where part of that shift has, has taken place as well, because artists weren't thinking about all of that back then when cds were more prevalent and so that's you know it's interesting it is interesting and, and that shift is going to continue to grow as there are more new technology and more new things that an artist can be a part of or participate in whether that's equity or proper participation or just be a part of
0: i'm excited now i can't wait so who are you most excited to see once things open back up if you could pick of the artists or your fans of who would you most want to go to that concert first
1: Don't do this to me. Damn. (laughs) Don't do this to me. Um, You know what I want to see, actually? (sighs) Because he was popping and then the COVID happened because he had a lot of shows. I know I mentioned him earlier, but Roddy Rich. I love what little baby's done. I want to see Dua Lipa live as well. I just honestly, Dan, I would go watch... Positive K and serve mix a lot at a club right now. If it meant I could just go see a live show, yep, with restrictions, so it doesn't. I don't, it doesn't really matter. I can pick, you know, an artist out of a hat right now. I'm just excited to see things opening back up. You know, hopefully safely, slowly. You know, maybe not Miami with Rolling Loud. It's you know three days of twenty thousand people, but I'm excited for Rolling Loud. You know, I, t- I say that I might show up. I don't know. So I'm just excited for shows to to be coming back.
0: I hear you on that. It's back to that Godzilla versus Kong thing. It's like, I don't care what it is. I'm there. I mean, I'm in the Bay Area. I'm literally looking into seeing, okay, who is going to come where? So yeah, I'm with it. Brandon, this is dope, man. Thanks for doing this. But before we let you go, if people want to get ready for Apex's launch and find out more information, where can they go? Where can they find that info?
1: So go to uh, www.watchapex.com. You know, you can go sign up and you'll receive updates once we launch. At Watch Apex Now on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's where you can find Apex. I'm Brandon underscore Panky on Instagram. I'm sure I'll be posting when Apex is out as well. But Dan, this was amazing. Again, I still get just in shock a little bit when, when people like yourself want to talk to me or hear what i have to say because i don't i don't really have shit to say dan i just
0: talk a lot um so <laughs> no, no this is good this is really good
1: <laughs> uh, kudos to the travel podcast and to what you're doing and, and what you're building because again i've seen the names that you have on here and it's going to continue to grow man so congrats to you and, and thank you again for having me
0: thank you appreciate that if you enjoyed this podcast go ahead and share it with a friend